0: Good morning. This is Kyle from Peachtree City, Georgia. It's currently 7 a.m., and I'm just now headed home after my seventh overnight shift in a row. Luckily, it's also my last. But unfortunately, like the other 800,000 federal employees, I'm also not getting paid for it because it's currently the 34th day of the government shutdown. This podcast was recorded at
1: 1.51 p.m. on Thursday, January 24th.
0: Things may have changed since you've heard this. All right, here's the show. I have a lot of neighbors in the same situation, and it's... uh not easy for anyone, and not easy especially for the people, um, you know, not at the top of the totem pole in a lot of those places. We're talking about interns, janitors who are having a difficult time.
1: That's totally true, and we're going to talk more about the government shutdown in just a bit. Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast. The State of the Union has been postponed. The president conceded to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. So could that be a sign that we're getting closer to the end of the government shutdown? I'm Asma Khalid, political reporter. I'm Aisha Rascoe. I cover the White House.
0: I'm I'm Montanaro, political editor,
1: and I'm Mara Liasson, national political correspondent. So, you know, for a minute, it seemed like there was a lot of uncertainty about what was going to happen with the State of the Union, but now it has been officially delayed. So let's walk through how this all played out. Uh, Aisha, do you want to start with a, a letter that Donald Trump put out yesterday?
2: Yes. So yesterday, President Trump sent this letter to Speaker of the House Nancy Pelosi about the State of the Union. And this is after she had sent a letter a little while back saying that we need to reschedule because of the shutdown. And basically what he says is, I'm going to fulfill my constitutional duty and I'm going to deliver this State of the Union in the chamber of the House of Representatives, just so you're clear. (laughs) And it would be very sad if this doesn't happen. So he basically kind of called her bluff.
3: He called her bluff and presumably he thought that she'd back down, but she didn't. She informed him that the House was not going to officially invite him because the government is shut down. She wrote a counter letter saying that, you know, the State of the Union could happen in the future when the government was open, but she wasn't budging.
2: And so Trump actually heard about this letter. He seemed to hear about this letter during a photo op, and he kind of responded saying, I'm not surprised.
0: We just found out that she's canceled it, and I think that's a great blotch on the incredible country that we all love. It's a great, great, horrible mark. I don't believe it's ever happened before, and it's always good to be part of history, but this is a very negative part of history. This is where people are afraid to open up and say what's going on. So it's a very, very negative part of history.
2: But he also said that we're going to come up with an alternative, and we'll let you know, basically in the coming days, what we're going to do. But we'll have an alternative.
1: And then, a little after 11 p.m. last night, Uh, The president took to Twitter, and he had this to say. As the shutdown was going on, Nancy Pelosi asked me to give the State of the Union address. I agreed. She then changed her mind because of the shutdown, suggesting a later date. This is her prerogative. I will do the address when the shutdown is over. I am not looking for an alternative venue for the State of the Union address because there is no venue that can compete with the history, tradition and importance of the House chamber. I look forward to giving a, quote, great State of the Union address in the near future. Exclamation mark.
3: This was the first face-off of divided government. Two co-equal branches, Donald Trump versus Nancy Pelosi. He blinked. And in the end, although the White House had considered taking up the invitation of state legislatures in Michigan or West mm-hmm. Virginia or maybe giving the speech in the Senate or giving the speech somewhere, he decided as an old real estate guy, location, location, location was really important. And he said, as, he, as you just read, nothing can compete with the history, tradition, and importance of the House chamber. That's He's a reality it. TV producer. He cared about the set. He wanted to do it in the House chamber. She had something he wanted and she wouldn't give it to him.
0: You know, a lot of this is wrapped up in the shutdown, of course, because uh, that's really the premise here that Nancy Pelosi was saying, don't do this until the government is reopened. And the president agreed essentially in that tweet saying that he wouldn't do it until the government was back open, which was backing down. And he's been facing a ton of political pressure. Just yesterday, there were a trio of polls from the Associated Press, CBS News and Fox News, importantly, because it's something that President Trump wanted watches with bad news for the president when it comes to the shutdown and his stance on this issue.
3: And usually in shutdowns, one party or the other reaches their pain threshold first. And it seems like the Republicans and Donald Trump have been getting to theirs Faster than the Democrats. His approval ratings have fallen. People blame him by big margins for causing the shutdown. And he has tried with all the tools at his disposal an Oval Office address, a visit to the border. You know, he has tried to make this argument and nothing has worked.
2: Yeah, and I think that for this president in particular, he is very caught up on the power of the Oval Office, the trappings of the presidency. And if he had went out to like the West Virginia State House, you're just not going to get the imagery that you're going to get being in the House of Representatives with the Democrats kind of forced to sit there and listen to you, too. Like you have this captive audience of not just your supporters, but also kind of at times the way it seems they can be viewed as your opponents, but the other party and you get to kind of give your message and they have to kind of sit there and listen to it. That's a powerful scene that you you don't get by going someplace else. And so it always seemed kind of sketchy to me whether he would really consider going to another place. And you can't just the State of the Union isn't a rally. You mm-hmm. know, you can't just throw it someplace. So I, I, I'm i curious how big of a deal this is that the State of the Union has been
1: postponed. Dominica, I know you've looked a lot at, at the history, right, of the State of the Union as a whole. Do we n- have a sense of... How rare this is?
0: It's very rare for this to occur. I mean, the last State of the Union that was delayed was in 1986, which was when uh, the Challenger happened Mm -hmm. and Ronald Reagan decided that it wouldn't be appropriate to give the speech at that moment. That was his call, not the Speaker of the House, to reject him. Now, at the same time, all that said, the Speaker of the House and Congress have the final say here. So Trump didn't have the leverage to be able to say, I'm going to go anyway.
1: So one of the things, you know, we've heard from the Trump administration is that this is part of their constitutional duty. Is that accurate?
0: Well, you know, it's a little bit of a twist because uh, there's no requirement for them to have to do it in person at the Capitol uh, on television for millions of people to see. Uh, In fact, there's no requirement to actually even do them every year. Uh, It's a constitutional requirement to deliver periodic updates. So what the Constitution actually says in Article 2, Section 3, if you want to follow Along at home, he <laughs> shall from time to time give to Congress information of the State of the Union and recommend to their consideration and measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient. So, in other words, he can come forward and say, I want you to do stuff. Nobody has to do any of that stuff. He has to tell them what's going on once in a while, but not all the time.
3: He could do it in a tweet. He could do yeah. it in a letter. Series
0: of tweets. That yeah. I've heard threading is yeah. a thing now.
1: Yeah. <laughs> a fax. All right. Anything.
0: Facts. <laughs> <laughs> so
4: 90s.
1: All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break, and when we get back, we'll talk about the latest on the government shutdown.
4: Support for this podcast and the following message come from Simply Safe Home Security. Simply Safe is complete wireless protection for your home that can be self installed in under an hour. There are no long term contracts and no hidden fees. CNET, The Wirecutter, and PC Mag have all named Simply Safe an editor's choice for home security. And SimpliSafe protects over 2 million people every day. Learn more about SimpliSafe and how to protect your home and family with their home security systems at simplisafe.com slash nprpolitics. Support also comes from ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology finds the right people for you, so you aren't overwhelmed with tons of resumes. Plus, ZipRecruiter actively invites the top candidates to apply. That's why ZipRecruiter is rated number one by employers in the U.S. based on hiring sites on Trustpilot with over a 1,000 reviews. Try it for free by going to ZipRecruiter.com weekly. Hey, it's Peter Sagal from Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me. If you're a normal Wait, Wait, listener, you shout out the answers to all the questions, and then you get frustrated that no one can tell how smart you are. Here's the solution, the Wait, Wait quiz, available now on your smart speaker. Just ask your smart speaker to open the Wait, Wait quiz. Finally, your genius shall be recognized.
1: And we're back. And today, Congress is set to vote on two bills that would potentially reopen the government. So, Domenico, why don't you give us a quick recap of just what's actually in them and and whether we actually expect them to be successful?
0: Yeah, so one is based on what the president said Saturday in his speech, which is uh, essentially $5.7 billion in wall funding for temporary protections for immigrants. So that would be essentially what they're voting on. That's expected to fail. Uh, There isn't enough Democratic support to get that over the line. And the second one is simply a few week delay, reopen the government and then start negotiations. So that is just a very plain bill, uh, continuing resolution, as they call it, to, you know, to just temporarily get the government going. That's also expected to fail. But what I think is going to be notable to watch is how many Republicans deviate on one or the other.
1: So if these are both expected to fail, what are the next steps at
3: this point? Well, the next step is to have a real negotiation. You know, the president made the first step when he offered, in his Oval Office address, a kind of compromise solution. He said, "Okay, I still want my 5.7 billion dollars for the wall, but I'm willing to talk about deportation relief for Dreamers and for another class of of immigrants." But Mara, he and
1: didn't really negotiate that. With he didn't. Any of the but Democrats, that what was right? interesting. <laughs> he
3: laid that out. He spoke the language of compromise, but then mysteriously, he didn't invite any Democrats to the White House. He has been talking with Republicans all week. So it seems like what they wanted to do was wait till today, keep Republicans together, and then presumably both sides will begin to talk. Now, Democrats, who have not made a official counterproposal to what the president laid out in the Oval Office, have said, several of them, that everything is up for negotiation, including a barrier, not a wall, except the shutdown. In other words, they're not going to budge on negotiating with him while the government is shut down because they feel that that's setting a terrible precedent Mm -hmm. every time he doesn't get what he wants, he'll shut the government down.
1: Ayesha, is there a strategy in the White House right now? Because one of the things that is very curious to me is we do know what Donald Trump himself put forth, right, uh, over the weekend. But then you also hear that there, you know, was an immigration meeting today with members of, say, um, the Libra Initiative, a conservative group, but also LULAC, which is um, sort of a much more mainstream Latino immigration group. I don't understand entirely what's going on. So,
2: yes, Tamara Keith. Our Tamara Keith is reporting that there are discussions kind of in the background about possibly a larger immigration bill. This is something that's being floated by Jared Kushner, the president's son-in-law and his senior advisor in the White House. There have been some listening sessions at the White House about this, but we don't know where the president is on that. But talking to people at the White House, they're throwing it back into the the court of the Democrats and basically saying, we made an offer. Now they need to come and make us a counter offer. But as Mara talked about, the Democrats are saying they will not negotiate at all until the government is reopened. But in the past,
3: when, when we've had these government shutdowns, usually they come up with some solution where the government is opened on a week to by week basis while they have negotiations and that every week they get a chance to either close it or keep it open. And that means that you still have the leverage of shutting down the government. The problem for the president is that the shutdown has become less and less popular and it's long it's so long at this point it's long and he's being blamed Hmm. for it and you have people like the commerce secretary wilbur ross who said uh this morning he doesn't understand why why federal workers on furlough have to go to food banks why can't they just go take out a
1: loan yeah and here's commerce secretary wilbur ross on cnbc this morning
4: there are reports that there are some federal workers who are going to homeless shelters to get food
0: Well, I know they are, and I don't really quite understand why. Because, as I mentioned before, the obligations that they would undertake, say a borrowing from a bank or a credit union, are in effect federally guaranteed. So the 30 days of pay that some people will be out, there's no real reason why they shouldn't be able to get a loan against it.
1: Loan that presumably would come with interest. Well, it and just sounds it, does, so out of touch. it does come
0: with interest. It also takes time to get a loan, and why should they have to take a loan, right? I mean, it, you know, it, it's it, and not if, everyone can qualify. for Not one.
2: everyone has good credit for a lot of different reasons, and it can be hard to get alone. And that was a big, fat target for Democrats, who in the past, Nancy Pelosi has already said,
3: what does Donald Trump think that these federal workers are going to do, just take a loan out from their daddy? But the Fox News poll, which has had pretty bad news for the president this week, asked a question, how many paychecks could you miss before you wouldn't be able to pay your bills? Mm -hmm. 54% of people said two. And that's the number of paychecks that That's federal workers com- are about to miss. That's what's coming tomorrow. Yeah. And,
0: you know, it's just an easy political punching bag for Democrats. And by the way, right up the 2020 Democrats messaging alley to be able to say, look at these billionaires, these folks who are out of touch, they don't get it. They all work for Trump. They're not looking out for you. It's easy political messaging, especially at a time when Republicans and and, and uh, President Trump have their backs against the wall in this shutdown. It couldn't come at a worse time to have him say, make a comment like that for the president.
2: And I think that this didn't ring well with people because even for those who greatly support the president, they I think there is sympathy for people who cannot get paid and who aren't getting paid and cannot feed their families and can't pay their mortgage and all these things that most people can relate to that they would have a hard time if they were missing multiple paychecks or even missing one paycheck. And, you know, another viral moment this week
3: was the Coast Guard. Top officials from the Coast Guard recorded a video where they were just scathing about their uh, disgust at both sides for letting this shutdown go on, because the Coast Guard is the rare branch of the military that is under the Department of Homeland Security, and they are not being paid. You, as members of the armed forces, should not be expected to shoulder this burden. I remain heartened by assistance available to you within the lifelines and by the outpouring of support from local communities across the nation. But ultimately, I find it unacceptable that Coast Guard men and women have to rely on food pantries and donations to get through day-to-day life as service members.
0: Well, if you've got to go out to sea for five months and uh, do a lot of the interdictions and actually the work along the border, (laughs) uh, you know uh, that that President Trump talks about trying to stop drugs. Who's stopping drugs? It's the Coast Guard, right? I mean, they're the ones doing a lot of that kind of work. So yeah, yeah. Look, this is going to cause a lot of pain. It's already caused a lot of pain for a lot of people. There are people, yes, they're going to food pantries. There are people who are, you know, needing you know donations of diapers, you know, uh, supplies, you know, things like that that are that touch on the core fiber of what we all uh, know. I mean, think about your own situation and whether or not you could make the mortgage or the rent uh, if you missed a paycheck, let
4: alone two.
1: All right, we're going to take a quick break, and when we get back, can't let it go.
4: Support for this podcast and the following message come from the Walton Family Foundation, where opportunity takes root. More information is available at waltonfamilyfoundation.org. Support also comes from BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who specialize in issues such as depression, stress, anxiety, and more. Connect with your professional counselor in a safe and private online environment at your convenience. Get help at your own time and your own pace. Schedule secure video or phone sessions. Plus, chat and text with your therapist. Visit BetterHelp.com NPR to learn more and get 10% off your first month.
3: Before you can start your day, you like to know what's happening in the news. That's what Up First is for. It's the morning news podcast from NPR, the news you need to take on the day. In just about 10 minutes, listen to Up First on the NPR One app or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: And we're back. And it is now time to end the show like we do every week by talking about the one thing, politics or otherwise, that we just cannot stop thinking about. Uh, Dominica, would you like to
0: go first? Uh, I would. And, you know, what's interesting is this is completely out of politics here. Um, and I was saw this kind of being passed around on Twitter a little bit. And then I decided to go read this interview for, with Rolling Stone and... And Jack Dorsey, the founder of Twitter himself, Uh, as mm -hmm. this was heading around Twitter. And he was talking somewhat middle to down, like further down in the story about this weird dinner he had with Mark Zuckerberg, the Mm -hmm. founder of Facebook. And they asked him, like, what did you what's the most memorable encounter you had with Mark Zuckerberg? And he said, well, there was a year when apparently Mark Zuckerberg was only eating what he killed.
1: (laughs) Mark Zuckerberg, the hunter. You know, (laughs) he said that
0: he made goat for him for dinner and he killed the goat. And they were like, in She's California, like, he, like, found I mean, a he goat? He went in the backyard to, like... and
3: killed a little baby goat pet.
0: <laughs> well, he said he didn't kill it in front of him. Okay. Uh, but he said that he killed it with a laser gun. Mm. And, the and,
3: then, and, then the, and then the knife. I find that hard to believe. A laser gun? But they do laser. stun. I mean, stunned.
1: They
0: stunned, stunned, so stunned them, That was it. what they wound up coming to, was that it was a stun gun. But the best part of it here was that apparently sent it off to the butcher. And then he says, what else are we eating? And he says salad. Then he said, "Where's the goat? It's in the oven." <laughs> then we waited for about thirty minutes. This is from the article. He's like, "I think it's done now."
1: Zuckerberg. Yeah, you can't cook a, du- a, goated, <laughs> a whole
0: goat.
3: Right? Exactly. I don't know. You know, know I don't know if it was filleted know. or what, yes. but. This shows that Mark Zuckerberg is not running for president. Well, oh, <laughs>
0: thanks, Mara. Mara's a, Mara's a one-track mind. Um, so he's like, I think it's done now. We go in the dining room. He puts the goat down. It was cold.
2: <laughs> oh, my it was God. Cold. He said,
0: that was memorable. I don't know if it went back in the oven. I just ate my salad.
2: <laughs> so you stun it, and then you take a knife to it? That just seems cruel. No, like, no you if you're going to kosher chicken? it, that's what you yeah, would do. I've heard oh, this to be yeah. kosher? Yeah, yeah, yeah. you okay. have to
3: slit its throat. But. Oh, okay.
2: Okay. <laughs> okay.
0: Mara's only done no, it twice.
3: I've heard this okay. actually okay. Mark Zuckerberg <laughs> who right. has, who has so who has okay. anyway let's not even get started on Mark Zuckerberg.
0: So how many times have you killed a animal or Anything. Well,
3: I can tell you that my freezer is full of wild boar that my son and husband kill, or sometimes wow. it's filled with wow. fish that they caught in Alaska. Most of my protein does come from my family members. Look at that. Every wow. so often, maybe once a taste? year I'll buy a chicken.
0: On the bottom <laughs> on the bottom on the bottom shelf though, in the back of Mara's freezer, is the hearts and souls of every pundit who tried to challenge me. <laughs> <laughs>
2: God, that's dark. To go? that's a, no, that's a good one. I like that. <laughs> All right. Well,
1: I'll go next. Uh, mine is political. Uh, so what I cannot let go of this week are millennials like oh. me. <laughs> so this week, oh, no. the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, his name is Pete Buttigieg. I believe it's a little bit difficult for me to pronounce his last name, but Buttigieg.
0: And his husband had actually tweeted out a bunch of different pronouncers, so you could sort of like go in a million or a few different directions. He has on his site boot Edge Edge, boot Edge Edge, I guess Buttigieg, and then sort of Buttigieg, like you know, so. Pick your pronouncer. Go a few different ways.
1: <laughs> well, Mayor Pete announced he's running for president, and he's joining, you know, what more than half a dozen other Democrats who've also officially declared their intentions to run. But what I find really interesting about him. Um, you know, he's a mayor. He's a mayor of a pretty mid-sized city in Indiana, uh, South Bend. I don't even know how many folks have heard of it. Where the it's University where Notre of Notre Dame is. Exactly. Yeah. But but he's really sort of pitching his agenda on, in running as being this candidate who represents intergenerational change. And, he, you know, he talks in this video ad that he had about how Washington's a mess, but we can't look for greatness in the past and that that's what too many politicians have been doing.
3: You know, I belong to a generation that is stepping forward right now. We're the generation that
4: lived through school shootings, that served in the wars after 9-11, and we're the generation that stands to be the first to make less than our parents unless we do something different.
1: So there you have it. Millennials were finally running for office. We might be poorer than our parents. We might be way older moms than our moms because we can't afford to have children. But hey, you know, but you can accomplish a lot.
0: He's, you know, he, he's, he's thirty-seven. He's thirty-seven. Okay. He's a mayor, and he served in Afghanistan. Like this is, you know, he's and he's has, gay and married. Yeah, I mean, I think him highlighting that generational change message is something that's underlying so much of what we hear about, whether it's on Capitol Hill with the sort of like restive Democratic activist base, not. really Really liking what they see with Democratic leadership all the time and their, uh, you know, age. Um, and on the campaign trail, frankly, you know, as Mar knows, the party has changed quite a bit. This is not Bill Clinton's party anymore. Um, and, you know, it really does seem to belong a little bit more to this uh, more youthful uh, activist base. Well, this is
3: where the Democrats are strongest. I mean, they have tremendous support among not just millennials, but the generation after that. And This is obviously a selling point for young candidates like Buttigieg or Beto O'Rourke, but it's also something that Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, should they run, will have to answer for.
1: All right. Well, Mar, do you want to go next?
3: I want to go next. Mine is a political, very topical, can't let it go. I have been thinking a lot about what Donald Trump said about Nancy Pelosi in one of his photo ops yesterday, and here he is.
0: Nancy Pelosi. Or Nancy, as I call her. (laughs) (laughs) The reason I love
3: that so much is that his... Nicknaming superpowers failed him in the face of the speaker. He couldn't come up with a derogatory, belittling, diminishing nickname for her. Or as I call her, Nancy. Nancy,
0: as I call her.
3: That's (laughs) as good as you can do.
0: You notice there was a pause there. The wheels were turning. There was some stuff that he was thinking but didn't want to have to go Uh. there. No,
3: I just think that he, the fact that he hasn't made up a nickname for her, and he certainly has for Chuck Schumer, uh, shows you that he's either intimidated. He's befuddled, doesn't quite know
2: what to do about her, or maybe he
3: respects her. Mm. We're not quite sure. But what we do know is that, for me, that little moment summed up what we saw this week, which was the first true clash of divided government, Nancy Pelosi versus Donald Trump. And even though it was just about the State of the Union address, he blinked. She didn't.
2: All right. That was great. Uh, Aisha, why don't you wrap things up? Yes, yeah, so my uh, "can't let it go" this week is the Oscars, and I uh, I'm not a I like the movies, but I don't get to the movies very much because obviously I got them kids and stuff, so I don't get to the <laughs> movies. But I made a point last year. I to, noticed
0: the Incredibles two didn't make it.
2: It it didn't. <laughs> although I like that movie, it was pre- yeah. Yes. Yeah, so, but one movie I did make. A uh, point to go see, because I never get out to go to the movies, is The Black Panther. And I love that movie. I felt like it lived up to the hype. Some people may disagree, but I love that movie. And it is nominated for uh, a best Picture and it is the first I didn't even realize this that it was the first superhero movie to be nominated for Best Picture. I thought the Dark Knight had been nominated for Best, best Picture, but it had not been. So as a superhero lover in my core, I am like very happy that there that superhero hero movies are finally getting recognized. It's
1: All right, well that's it for today. We'll be back as soon as there is more political news that you need to know about. And we have exciting news. The podcast team will be hitting the road. We'll be in Atlanta, Georgia for a live show on Friday, March 8th. You can head to nprpresents.org for tickets. I'm Asma Khalid, political reporter. I'm Aisha Rasco, I cover the White House. I'm Domenico Montanaro, political editor. I'm
3: Mara Lyason, national political correspondent.
1: And thank you for listening to the NPR Politics
0: podcast.